0: agnostics, long short love Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, attorney, and former deputy assistant to President Trump, May Mailman. Mike? Hey, May. So... As I sort of expected, our our weekend show was taken up entirely by the speaker issue and Israel and Hamas, um, but there were a lot of things that happened that we didn't get to that now we'll be able to talk about in this midweek show, starting with uh, a big agreement between the United Auto Workers and Ford. They've reached a tentative labor agreement subject to member approval, and Uh, Going back, the union actually started its expanding strikes against those big three U.S. automakers on September 15th, so well over a month ago. And after expanding those strikes against GM and Stellantis, Ford decided to come to an agreement with the union before another one of its plants was shut down and the agreement gives workers an 11% wage increase in the first year with increases totaling 25% over the length of the four and a half year contract including additional cost of living adjustments uh, it raises the top wage by more than 30 but to more than 30% to $40 an hour raises the starting wage i can speak raises the starting wage by 68% to over $28 per hour and also improves benefits for current retirees, as well as workers with pensions and 401k plans. Now, they didn't exactly meet in the middle here. It was 15% less than the union's starting demand and 10% more than Ford's initial counteroffer. But it seems to me to be a reasonable compromise that is probably going to be something of a template for deals with GM and Stellantis. I should point out that Ford employs more UAW workers than either GM or Stellantis. And the union t- specifically focused on Ford with more of its strike activity that's, that was targeted at Ford than at the other two automakers. And, uh, in fact, it was only right after the UAW called for strikes at GM and Stellantis' biggest plants that Ford kind of said, well, wow, we don't want that happening to us. And GM and Stellantis actually were offering 23%, which is just under what Ford agreed to. So I think it seems likely there are going to be deals there sometime soon as well. Uh, and it was the first time that the UAW employed what they call it their stand-up strike approach, which is targeted escalating strikes as opposed to a full walkout of all union workers. And the union believed this would give them more flexibility And better leverage, also protecting more workers when negotiating with automakers. And based on the outcome, which is seen by a lot of folks who are experts in this area as the biggest bargaining win for the union in decades, it was effective. May, what do you take? What, what do you take away from the strike, and uh, which is still going on with those other two automakers, as well as the deal the union reached with Ford? What that says, uh, uh, I guess, more generally, also about uh, organized labor in the U.S. at this point.
1: Well, I don't see why everyone doesn't strike. I guess um, if you're going to get the president of the United States to come out there and sit on the picket lines with you um if you're gonna be able to get uh, sort of political pressure in that direction, why wouldn't everyone strike um a twenty five percent average pay increase over four years is good, although I think you know they gotta we don't know where inflation is gonna go, so um they might be striking again next year. who knows? I don't see any anything. <laughs> Uh, built out against that instead I actually see specific rights to strike if Ford closes any plants and Ford's going to have to close plants this this increase does not make sense to me unless Ford knows it's going to get bailed out by the federal government which of course just means us so the average cost of a new car is already currently more than 48,000 dollars That does not include the costs that we are expecting. So Ford lost uh, $4.5 billion in its EV sector last year. EV demand is going down. And while EV demand is going down and costs have not uh, gone down with them, instead, Ford is asking, I mean, they are in court asking for EV mandates. California is going to impose an EV mandate of 100% electric by 2035. How does this math make sense? Ford cannot make money on EVs, losing billions of dollars each year. Uh, it's it's cutting investments in its EVs with understanding of that, and yet it's going to be mandated to sell EVs 100% EVs by 2035. They can't. The, the math doesn't make sense. They can't do it and give its workers a 25% pay increase doesn't make sense. They will go out of business like with that math unless unless someone's going to save them. So to me this negotiation takes place under the the view of there will be subsidies, there will be bailouts like Ford, Ford's not paying for this. Ford's not paying these 25% increase.
0: You are. I am. Well, if that's that's interesting. I, I, there's a lot there's a lot there. Um I guess I want to start with the uh, idea, and I want to make sure I'm clear on this. You're not, maybe you are, I don't know. Are you saying that you're against... It sounded almost like you were saying that you were opposed to the idea of organized labor in general, but I don't think that's what you meant, but maybe it is. Um, but no, I'm not. Okay. Okay. I just I wanted to be clear because I, I could hear listeners hearing what you were saying. I didn't think that's what you were saying. I, I think it sounded more to me in my interpretation is that you feel that the Biden administration was sort of putting its thumb on the scales to uh, help out. The unions in this case, and of course, Donald Trump was sort of trying to do the same thing in this sort of faux union rallyish kind of thing. He's for the workers as well. Uh, it's not like any political candidate's going to come out and say I'm against the workers and the hell with the workers, right? So, but but I think that the economics, if in fact your math sort of—I mean, it's not math—but your predictions work out, I would have a problem with that as well. But I also think that a part of the whole EV situation has to do with in part the lack of infrastructure still for EVs that we have for gasoline powered cars. And that's a, that's a huge issue still. I mean, you can certainly find electrical charging things plenty of places now that you wouldn't find them even five years ago, but it's not like with gas stations where you can just, they're everywhere essentially. And that's certainly a barrier. And there are real concerns about this, but I'm not as confident as you are that this is inevitably going to lead to a bailout. I, I think that uh, Ford is going to be far more resilient and resourceful in figuring this out. And so I don't know that they built in this idea of a bailout. If they did, given the reluctance to bail out, at least the stated reluctance to bail out anyone by a number of members of Congress on both sides, I, I don't know that's a very smart strategy in, in the first place. So I, I, I mean, I, I think that it was a reasonable deal, not nearly what Ford was hoping for, but, uh, you know, I, I think, I, I think organized labor, uh, notched a big win here. And I don't think it's going to be the end of Ford, though I do think that there are real issues here because you mentioned this. I mean, certainly I, I, we just bought a new vehicle and it was, it was first time since 2010. I was just gobsmacked by how much we had to pay to basically replace what we got back then, even accounting for inflation, I think. But uh, the per labor, sorry, the per hour labor costs of the agreement for Ford for labor around $67 per hour this year, that goes up to $88 per hour by the final year of the contract. If you compare that, the non-unionized foreign automakers, they're currently in the mid fifties and Tesla's in the high forties to low fifties. So, Absolutely, that's a significant issue to consider and I'm not I'm not downplaying that at all. So uh so yeah. Yeah.
1: So a couple of responses, um I'm not against organized labor in the private sector. I am in the public sector. And the reason for that distinction is in the private sector, organized labor can only go so far cuz you can't put your employer out of business, right? I want $100 an hour. Well, OK, I can I can offer you that for about four days and then the business goes out. So organized labor in the private sector has to have the employer's interests in a certain sense in mind, just like the employer has to have the employee's interest in mind. If you pay two dollars an hour, you're just you're not going to no one's going to work there. So there's a uh, there are constraints of just consumer demand that are placed upon both parties that I think regulate the, the discussions to be in the universe of reasonable. It's not going to put the business out. Can't. Um, wouldn't be in the interest of organized labor. But when you deal with public sector unions, the employer is not the keeper of the funds, right? The the public is the keeper of the funds. And, and so, Neither party has the same constraints. They can sort of increase the cost without that same, you know, understanding of maybe it's not a consumer in in every context, but where's the money coming from? Is this reasonable? Is this sustainable? Is there bang for your buck here? Like those types of questions aren't answered in the public sector space. And so by having um you know, the president's involvement by having a history of bailouts. And I think by giving concessions that I would, I just wouldn't see if in a totally private sector deal, it just gives me some concern. So let's take Tesla, which doesn't have unionized labor. Before the deal, Ford was already paying about $20 more per hour for their work than Tesla was. So now, um, increasing that gap, how does Ford compete with Tesla in the EV sector? I really don't. I, I have heard no answer to that question. Ford yesterday announced that they were cutting $12 billion in EV investments because they lose $36,000 on every single EV in last quarter, or Q3. So, okay. So you're... You're already paying more than Tesla. You're not able to compete with Tesla. Now you're cutting back $12 billion in investments because you're losing on every car. These just don't seem to me to be reasonable business decisions. Um, so, so I'm just confused, I guess. Is, uh, I, I don't know how Ford's going to make it
0: work. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. It certainly will be challenging. Of course, Tesla will have its its own challenges right now. It's still a, a much smaller automaker they're not making anything like a like an F150 or anything like that and of course that's you know you can't you can't, you can't throw a st- throw a rock without hitting an F150 in this country right and so but but yeah that's a that's a very real issue you know one thing you you uh focused on that I think is is interesting and, and worth talking about a little more is that distinction between private sector and public sector unions and that sort of market discipline that's imposed on all the parties or the labor and and the employers in the private sector that we don't see in the public sector. And I think that's a fair point to make. But here's, here's what I'm wondering about this is oftentimes I'll hear that from conservatives and I think, okay, I get that. That logic makes sense to me. But so often I hear on the right that they want to carve out for police and fire and other folks. And I think, well, how does that that seems to me to be more of an emotional kind of argument than kind of abandoning that sort of basic logic and I wanted to get your response to that.
1: So I completely agree that it's hypocritical to say I'm against public sector unions when all you're trying to say is I'm against teacher unions um or you know like there's some other federal agencies department of labor workers or something like that. Um but I'm for the border patrol union and I'm for firefighters. Um, so if you're against public sector unions, I think you should be against them all written into state law is not always that same equivalency. Some states do limit teachers unions more so than they do, uh, you know, various frontline workers. Uh, so, so, you know, that, that is the nature of politics because I'm not a politician, I have the benefit of saying I would be, uh, you know, I would stick to my guns. I, I get it. And I get it from the Democrat side as well. If you're getting a lot of money from public sector unions, you're going to be in favor of it. So politics does, I think, cloud what should be um, what what should be a principled decision. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> Why are public sector unions who are taking taxpayer dollars, then giving it away to either Republicans or Democrats and shaping the, you know, the policies that affect them? It's it's just totally, totally corrupt. So, you know, I understand that it's politics, but
0: it's bad politics. Well, I appreciate that response. And your and your consistency and integrity on that. For me, I mean, I'm a, I am ai am a public sector employee in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and I am not able to, uh, well, I can join the union, but uh, we cannot collectively bargain under state law. And so what would be the point? I guess we could have cookouts or something like that, but but, but the police and fire can't do that. And I've long felt like, well, hey, that's, you know, I, for that, for exactly those reasons. So I, I appreciate that consistency. Well, let's let's move on to something uh, different this week or this last week, actually, there was a fourth person who pleaded guilty in that Georgia election case. It was Trump attorney Jenna Ellis. And her plea follows, I think, the basic model of what we saw from uh, Chesbro, Powell and Hall. You get the small penalty, no prison time, like four or five years probation and an agreement to testify against the remaining 15 defendants which uh, include Donald Trump. And Alice told the judge, Scott McAfee, that if I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges, and that she said she relied on more experienced attorneys to verify the legitimacy of the election claims, and she had failed to do her due diligence to verify those claims herself. So May, now we have four of those 19 defendants cooperating with the prosecution, and a couple who were... You know, hire Scott Hall not so much, but the other three. And I'm wondering a couple of things: Do you think that more are going to go the same route, and how do you see this as affecting the potential outcome, especially concerning those four biggest names? And I'd say those would be uh, former Trump chief of staff uh, Mark Meadows, uh, attorney John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani, and of course Donald Trump himself.
1: So I have not i'm yeah i'm not that impressed by these plea deals by what i think that the prosecution is getting and of course this is all in a vacuum because they have been forbidden from speaking with the media so the first time we'll hear from them is if they're called during the trial which i'm not even sure they will be called like they are now obligated if they're called to testify but they don't have to be called so the reason I think that I'm not I'm not impressed by this is a couple of things. One, we knew that there were going to be plea deals. There had to be plea deals if Fonnie Willis's goal is to have a conviction on Trump before the election, which I think that is her goal, having 19 people on all sorts of different theories from everything from getting data from Coffee County uh election machines to a memorandum on electors, to meetings in the Capitol, like all of these different things, all these different people who some of them have never spoken to each other. That's going to be a very, very difficult trial, especially you're going to have a lot of appeals saying facts against this person are not admissible against me. It taints it against me. You know, I want to appeal that it would be a disaster there had to be plea deals if you wanted to get Trump. So one, not surprised uh, by them. Two, these are insanely uh, sweetheart deals and they didn't get the RICO claim. So all of these pleas have to do with some version of like uh, false statements, false documents. Um, So, and not only that, they're what Georgia calls first offender deals But they're diversions. So if they comply with their probation terms, they have nothing on their record. So these are nothings. (laughs) Um, So when people say slap on the wrist, it's less than a slap on the wrist. This will not appear on their record if they just do their community service and don't commit crimes for five years. Uh, so why would you see, you know, if these people are dangerous to democracy and are in a criminal enterprise changing elections, why would you see them being offered nothing? Uh, I, I, you know, there's two theories. One, they have really great evidence. Oh, they've got the smoking gun and we've just, we've got to get it from them and we've got to make sure they testify. Or two, I didn't have a strong case against them. I could have taken this. But I, I might not have won it. And I just I need to get out from under this. And I think that number two is more reasonable than number one because of the person that Trump is. Trump, for all of his faults, does not have a filter. And the fact that he's like having a secret confiding in Jenna Ellis or Sidney Powell about his true feelings about the election and what he really it's just absurd to me. It's absurd to me. He he has no filter. Everything, every thought that he has is in some sort of evidence somewhere. I mean, it. Uh, so I just think that this kind of shows the weakness, actually, of Fonnie Willis's case, the need to clear out the the uh, her, you know, her load, and to create pressure.
0: We hope you enjoyed this preview of our supporters' exclusive midweek show. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode, we hope you'll consider becoming a supporter. Supporters get ad-free access to all of our shows, membership in our Politics Guys Discord group where you can join in on the conversation, and other benefits at different levels of support. To become a supporter, go to patreon.com politicsguys. You can also support us through Venmo, or at politicsguys, or through PayPal. You'll find all of our support links in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you'd like to get the midweek show, but you're not in a position to become a financial supporter, that's not a problem. Just send me an email at mike at politicsguys.com and I'll be happy to get that set up for you.